Princeton, it. Syracuse, first time yeah, I've very, ever very heard much, him very much. same sentence, but I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, MIT, Princeton, Syracuse, yeah. the big three. Everybody yeah, knows. there it is. Everyone knows. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to the fuck did you get that job? The show where two not so interesting guys ask interesting people one question and then interrupt them as they try to answer it. Joining us today is Andrew Stallings. Andrew graduated from Marymount University with a degree in communication and media studies. During his time in school, he interned with Sirius XM. Shortly after finishing school in 2010, he came on full-time as a producer on Sirius's NASCAR radio channel. In 2015, Andrew began work with the sports marketing ag- agency Behemoth. Octagon. He left Octagon in 2017, and that eventually led to him founding his own sports marketing agency, Othello Group. Today, in addition to being the CEO and founder of Othello Group, he is the head coach of Stanford Public Schools, women's high school ice hockey team, and the sponsor of a Firecracker 400 champion esports car. Andrew, welcome to the show, and how the fuck did you get that job? (laughs) Where, Where do you even go with that? Uh, there's so many different ways. Uh, well, first off, I mean, boys, cheers. Thanks. Cheers. It's so cheers. good to be live and in person. Here. First, first, live, first so, live podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. We So, fun little backstory. We were planning on doing this last week, right, over Zoom. And mm-hmm. we paused. And we said we're 45 minutes away from each other. Why, why are we not doing we're, this? We're also vaccinated. Yeah. And we're here. Yeah. yeah. So, we were just like, yeah, let's do this. So, it, it's, it's perfect timing. Um, I mean, look, when you, when you look at my path, it's anything, I would say it's anything from, but traditional, right? You know, it's, it's one of those things where I, all, where I've amounted to today has been, you know, something that I think all of us can speak to a little bit. It's just been countless failures and learning exercises. So, you know, when I was at Sirius XM, you know, I, I mean, I guess if you take a bigger step back, you know, when I was going to college, I got rejected from, you know, over, I think, 11 universities, right? And I, I had to pitch my way in to the dean of admissions at Marymount University to let me come in. And when did, I... Did you think that you were going to, like, just get into, it was going to be an easy process, you're going to get into one, and then it kind of reality, like, like something just set in, and you're like, I got to... No. Like, what was that like, What was that process like? Yeah, I mean, so... I, those that know me, I you know, I'm kind of like a, a vulgar, outgoing enigma in a lot of ways. And people like me usually are looked at as like you're you're the class clown, the joker, and you know, yeah, you'll get attributes. Like I was a senior vice president of my graduating high school class and I was the captain of my men's high school varsity basketball team yes we didn't ever win a game but you know like i mean again that that speaks to the captain even more (laughs) leadership guys ready to go so but i you know i checked the box on the extracurriculars but like academics i just i I, the stuff that was like you really need to focus and harness you know from an academic standpoint i was like a 2.2 student right like i barely spelled my name right on my sats like i just i didn't have that like same structure to get into a normal college or university but it didn't hit me until after four years of my guidance counselors and parents telling me like, oh, you're not gonna get into college, you're gonna not gonna get it. I'm like, yeah, 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 okay. And then I started applying and rejection, 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 rejection. I'm like, okay, so after like the seventh rejection, I'm like, oh shit, I'm not gonna be able to get into any of the schools that I really wanted to go to. And Marymount was the last school I applied to. There was the last rejection I got, and I'll never forget, I came home, got the rejection letter. My parents were like, hey, let's sit down, let's talk about community college. You know, that's okay, that's okay. And I was like, 
for some reason, I was just like not even phased. I was like, no, it's it's it, look. I'm gonna write a letter, handwritten letter to the dean of admissions. I'm gonna send him a letter, not an email. I'm gonna send him a letter, see what he says. A week later, I got an email, a letter in the mail back. They were just like, yeah, like cool, we'll conditionally accept you under these academic terms. And I exceeded all those expectations and graduated at four years in Maryland. So what did the letter say? It it was just like. From what I remember, You're the man, I love you, Andrew. You're like, come, <laughs> yeah. to, come to college. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's certainly, when when they came to me, like with the letter that they wrote, I don't have any idea what BS I wrote in that letter to, to the dean, uh, but I know that it was at least good enough and it was a good enough pitch that it was like, hey, look, I know I'm not the academic standout. I know I'm not the, you know, scholar athlete that's going to, you know, change the world and light D3 sports on fire, but at the same time, I was like, I'm the guy that's going to work my ass off. Like, I'm going to go – and at that time, we weren't necessarily at the hustle mentality, like the Gary Vaynerchuk mentality, like that, you know, hustle, hard work pays off, like the 18-hour days pay off. That wasn't really in our culture back in, like, 2006, and, and at least for me. I, I don't know about you guys, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to work the hardest. I'm going to be first one in, last one out. Just give me the chance. Give me the chance. And albeit, the dean of admissions was like, cool, you have to meet this minimum GPA. You know, we're going to, you know, kind of evaluate it after your first semester and then figure it out. And I think I hit the GPA. I couldn't tell you what my GPA was <laughs> at college. I don't, if you guys know yours, I'm shocked. But I, I don't know mine. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And I, I graduated in four years. And I think that's that's a testament that's to it. anybody. You graduate in four years of college, you're doing something, right? So, Make sure you write in that letter in high school, like, my GPA will not get me higher. I will not average any more points per game, but I know where you park your car, and I will be there every day until you accept me. Hundred percent. It's like I will wait. I will bring you your coffee in the morning. Like I will. Like how do you like it? Ice mm -hmm. latte? What do you like? Two sugars? So yeah, I mean, but that was like my first pitch, right? Is you know, like I learned very early on, and it took me probably until like the last year or two to really realize that like what I do now, modern day, I was grooming for this back when I was 17 years old and I didn't even know it, right? Like I was sitting there and I was like, man, I'm sitting here managing amazing athletic and entertainment talent. I'm working with some amazing brands and partners and properties and all to think it came from failure. And, and so many people, they don't, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's, it's cool to fail, it's cool to fail. I don't ever look at this as like a motivational speech. Like I still fail every day. We talked about this when I first got here. Like, we all fail. And, and it's like, we do this shit every day. And it's never going to change because if you're not, if your failures are outweighing your successes, you're doing it right. Like, I, that's the way I look at it. I don't know. And most of the time, it doesn't feel cool. No, no. I don't feel like, I, I'm not putting on like Instagram, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know ate shit on my two mile run this morning, came home and then the dog, you know, like ran away and I chased it in the neighborhood. Like, you're not Hashtag just... YOLO, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag failure is cool. Yeah, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe that should be our new thing. Like make yeah. failure sexy. I don't know. But yeah, I just, I, I've learned so much from my failures over the years. And you know, that's, I did that through the Marymount process. Um, like with Sirius XM going into my internship there, it, I, we had to have an internship to graduate at Marymount. And I, it was like literally the night before the deadline. And Ross Herosian, who was at the time like head of the internship program at SiriusXM, called me in December and was like, hey, we have one more spot open. Like, do you know, we saw your resume come in. Do you want to have a quick interview? And I'm like, yes. I was like, you call me from Burger King and I'll I, I will intern there. I need this to graduate. Yes. 
and it couldn't have been more awesome. Like I, I got to jump into the world of sports media, which wasn't really where I wanted to go. Like I think for all of us that say that we want to work in sports, we don't necessarily understand the, the brevity and the depth of areas that you can go, like property, media, talent, like yeah, whatever. And, and I was just like, yeah, cool, media, radio, awesome. Came in there, got an internship at the 11th hour. No idea how I did that. Octagon, um, I was basically the most cocky little serious. Was serious, were you, yeah. when you went in there, were you like, NASCAR, that's my thing, I want to get in there? <laughs> no. <laughs> at all like but it's weird because i'm from southeast virginia and you know nascar is pretty big like langley speedway big military community i'm, I'm from newport news and um you know I, I hated nascar like i just i was i was the kind of guy that i was like no this is this is dumb circles circles left turns no thanks but that's kind of what made it exciting because i learned very quickly you never want to work at your favorite restaurant right you, you know i'm a huge hockey guy and the few times and opportunities I've had to cover the Washington Capitals or cover a hockey game, it sucks so all that passion that you have right out of the sport that you care for. And you're just like, oh my God, like this, this is horrible. So I learned quickly, I'm like, put me on the sports that I don't give two shits about. Mm -hmm. So I worked on the PGA channel for a little while. And I was like, golf is, I was managing a early morning golf show that started at 7 a.m. And it was the most like electric. <sighs> <laughs> no, but it, it was it was just like good morning and welcome, and I was just like, like falling asleep at the board doing levels every morning, and you know then they moved me to NASCAR, and to to the testament of it, the the morning show at NASCAR was interesting because the hosts were very modern and very millennial minded. They were older guys, you know, but. They had been in NASCAR motorsports for years, but they were like listening to Tiesto and Avicii. So like it was kind of a cool mix of like making pop culture and NASCAR meet. And it was called the Morning Drive. And I got a chance to be the producer over there. And it was cool because it, it brought me in a little bit because like instead of playing like Jason Aldean songs coming back from every break, I got to like play like Dada Life and stuff and like piss off truckers in Omaha. They'd call up and blow the hotlines. Get that mess off the damn radio! And it just like losing their mind. And I loved it. I, I just, just have that power over people's ears. It was, it was amazing. So yeah, no, I hated NASCAR. And, and it wasn't until I just watched uh, Tucker Minter win the Firecracker 400 <laughs> qualifier about 10 minutes ago that I actually gave a shit uh, about NASCAR and motorsports. Even though I represent NASCAR and IndyCar drivers, I still fucking hate it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but it we, we'll, 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 we'll get into Tucker. There's going to be a, a um, strong 15-minute segment at the yeah, end of this, so, all dedicated to Tucker Minter. So, for people not in sports and also for people in sports, including myself, explain Octagon. Like, okay. explain, like, what Octagon is and, like, what how, how that opportunity is going to rise. Because it's a huge conglomerate. They do a lot of different things. Right. Uh, but, like, what were you doing over there? Yeah, so... Coming out of Sirius XM, I had developed a really good cushion. And in my mind, again, in my mind, I was able to run circles around a lot of my peers. And I was 22, 23 years old. I was doing morning show programming from, I, I had to get into the studio at like 4 a.m. latest. And then I was leaving by 1 p.m. And I wasn't making enough money to really live in DC. So I would bartend most nights. So I would go home at 1 p.m., sleep for two hours, or like go to the gym, 
<laughs> and then, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, gym, whatever. And then I would go and bartend. And I was doing that at least five nights a week. And on top of that, I was also coaching, like, women's high school basketball or something. So I was hustling. Like, I, I was hustling at a very early age. But all of that just kind of came to a halt. And my ego caught up to me. Like, I was in just, like, dead-end relationships with, like, friends and even girlfriends, everything else. And I, I kind of hit my ceiling at SiriusXM. And I had a very serious conversation with my bosses and it was like, politely, hey, you need to find another job or you probably are not going to be a part of the, the future equation of this channel moving forward. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things I look back on and it's at the time I was like, man, how dare they like kind of put me down like that? They're basically telling me they're going to fire me. It was the most respectful thing they could have ever done. Like, I'll never forget. They, they gave me the respect of knowing that, hey, man, you do have talent. You do have potential. But you've burned kind of your house here and it's like we'll always like respect you we'll appreciate you but before you completely burn this shithole to the like to ashes you got to go find your new home and whatever that may be and so that kind of gave me like that like thinking i had like a month or two where i was just like i need to hurry up and figure this out and so i started applying like in media you build a lot of great relationships right like you know you build relationships with pr agencies and media outlets like they're always approaching you hey we need to get people on the radio etc and so Octagon and the CAAs and, and all of that, I had built good rapports with them because they were constantly pitching like, hey, we have Danica Patrick uh, on behalf of Aspen Dental. She needs to come on and do a media hit. Can we get her on the morning show for NASCAR? And so I had these contacts at Octagon and all these places. I had conversations with them and they had a big presence in NASCAR, Octagon specifically. And I remember I had uh, two interviews for two different positions. One was with like Sunoco Racing and another one was Sprint at the time. They were like, come to Charlotte, come to Charlotte. And I was like, man, I don't wanna go work in NASCAR anymore. Like I've done this for a few years. And, they, and then finally, right again, I talked about 11th hour, I was right at my boiling point, probably leaving Sirius XM, get a phone call. They're like, hey, we have a new protein bar client up here in Connecticut at our global headquarters. Do you wanna come have this job? And like, you know, or at least interview for it. And I was like, okay, Connecticut. That's like up near Maine, right? And, and again, remind you, I didn't travel a lot. I was like in my early 20s. I was from Southeast Virginia. hadn't done a lot of travel. And they were like, wow, you, <laughs> you're, you're going to learn. Came to Connecticut, interviewed with them, and got just put through the car wash of what agency life is, how it works, what IPG is. You know, that you know, interpublic group, for those that don't know, is, is a higher holding group of – uh, a series of different agencies that they have. So they have like Rogers and Cowan and Fruct and, and all these different elements of like media, sports, entertainment. And it's, uh, you know, usually a universal family of agencies. So they're able with that powerhouse conglomerate to approach a company and say, hey, Bud Light, you know, we want to do this experiential activation with you and do events and, you know, do a sponsorship deal with you through Octagon. But you know what? We actually have our sister agency over here, Rogers and Cowan, um, you know, or this other agency over here that can do PR or can do digital or can do social. So it was kind of weird because we were expected to lean on different agency partners and to do different parts of the business. But what I learned very quickly is that those agencies were all so big and Octagon itself is a global entity. So we were expected to almost, you know, kind of walk in and always help people understand there's always more. There's always more that we can do. 
And I think now as we kind of look at today's model of agency and business, it's interesting because we're trying to keep everything under one roof and one umbrella now. And with Octagon, it was like, hey, yeah, like we can do it all, but it's there's a lot of different parties and people in the house to do it. But, yes, but yeah. like why do it all when you can do it with how the fuck did you get that job and you know exactly <laughs> where the ad reads coming from? <laughs> I mean, yeah. all, all that to be That's said. That's the, the guy, yeah. the exact from my We're going right, Brian, we're going right Brian, for him. Right down, Brian, the, Brian, Brian, I, went, Brian I went right down the barrel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right that down guy? the barrel. Yeah, he, he watched that and was like, this is a simulation. The, this How is the I guy. Know? <laughs> 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 like, this is the guy. No, but so yeah. when, when you first got in, did you feel like, okay, I am a very small fish in a very big pond, or did you get, like, how tough was it to get your footing in there? Um, it, it was it was, a, it was a gut check, and it was a gut check that I needed, right? Because I was coming from an area where I felt like I, I had this ego, and I had a boss that brought me and took a chance on a guy that had no agency experience, and basically was like, hey, you're gonna run this new client, you're gonna help run events, do these things, um, and we're gonna groom you and mentor you, and it's sink or swim. Either you're gonna fail or you're gonna succeed. And I learned probably very quickly in three months that I was not the the cocky kid that could run around and do stuff anymore. You know, but I learned then just to like ask a lot of questions. You know, like just kind of be like, oh yeah, hey, like how do I do this? How do I do that? But dude, I got the shit kicked out of me. Like I've you know by bosses and colleagues, and there's some smart people that work at those agencies. And you know, again, not to belittle a D three education, but People that were coming to intern at Octagon could probably run circles around me, and I was a senior account executive with really no industry experience, and that's like considered almost like entry to mid, like late entry mid level in agency life. And I was stepping in there, and these guys from like Princeton and like Syracuse and everything else were coming in, and you know, running Princeton, Syrac- Syracuse, first time yeah, I've very, ever heard very, much, very <laughs> the same <laughs> sentence, but I appreciate that. I mean, MIT, Princeton, Syracuse, Syracuse. Yeah. the big three. Everybody yeah, knows. there it is. Everyone knows. But yeah, I mean, I learned very quickly that it just it was going to be something that it was always going to be an uphill battle. And that was fine. I learned the hard way. I still you got a chip on your shoulder. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, you have to have that chip. And I got some great opportunities. I worked on awesome properties. I started on MBTY, which was pure protein metrics and osteobiflex. Got to work on Sports Illustrated. What, is, what, is, what, is, what is like osteobiflex? Like, those are big words. Like, uh, well, like they're like, pro, they're like protein type, like fitness yeah, type. Okay. He knew because he was lifting so much in between the bartending and, and the, the uh, serious the jobs. Oh, I think you're saying Jack was. Oh, I, was no. like, it was like he, I was like, fuck. Well, he's Jack, got to show results. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, Jack's in better shape than I am these days. No, fuck, no, man. No, no. No, I'm still um, learning the big words. And then yeah. what was it from there? The, so it was yeah. both that group and then... Yeah, then we went to uh, uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit, which... That was awesome. Like that was quite comical um, in a lot of ways. But uh, what, you, what was your job within the, that complex, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit complex? Uh, jack of all trades, um, I think is the best way to put it. But I was an account manager over there, and, and I was helping activate like Sports Person of the Year, um, and then their Sports Kid of the Year programs, and then Sports Illustrated swimsuit, like their fan fest and like their VIP parties. But like for those who haven't worked in events. Regardless of your title, if you're a VP at an agency, you're all hands on deck for success when you're working for a client like that. So there were so many times where I would be like, I would go to Nashville and I would have to wait for an airplane of supermodels to get in to come in at two in the morning. 
be waiting at the hotel with other people on my team, and Chrissy Teigen, Emily Ratajkowski, all these individuals are coming off this plane. They're exhausted. They're pissed. They're tired, and they're just going up to their room, and my job is to bring their bags to their room after they had been on a plane, exhausted, tired, and I'll never forget that I, my, my favorite story from this is I go and I'm, I'm, I can look at the tag. I know whose room I'm going to. I knock on the door and I know I'm, I'm going to Chrissy Teigen's room. And I knock on the door and Chrissy Teigen answers the door and she's there and like she cracks open the door and she's like in a towel. And I'm like, but she's like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm baggage, Sports Illustrated. Oh, come on I, in. I won the raffle. Yeah, well, well, I go in and Johnny. I, I, there's a, a bigger story to it. Johnny Legend, because I can call him Johnny Legend, because we we got that close that weekend. I hockey checked him in a bar by accident. Johnny Legend is sitting there on the edge of the bed and just in his boxers, and he's just like watching TV. How's it going? And I'm just like, I'm in a room with. What is my Chris, job? Yeah, I'm like, how the fuck did I get this job? You know, like I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, I got Chrissy Teigen and Johnny Legend. You know, okay, I'm. Have a great night, guys. And take care. I'm like, I close the door. And I'm just like, I, I, I'm never gonna be able like. To so they're my best friends now. You're like texting. Yeah, you're like yeah. texting everybody. <laughs> I'm like taking selfies with them. Yeah. And they're like, what are you doing? No, but I mean, there are moments like that where it's like, you know, you, you kind of get those behind the scenes look at everything. But that that was fun. And then I went and I started working with Anheuser Busch um, at Octagon, and that that was kind of like the dream account. Like every agency has like their hero major like wow if you can work on that team you've made it i remember i was jonesing to get on the anheuser-busch team because we oversee we oversaw their global sports sponsorship at octagon so fifa and budweiser so like world cup confederations cup corona and the world surf league um like all the big property relationships and i got a chance to oversee for about a year corona and the world surf league's relationship and then corona's relationship with parlay for the oceans and then um, I was a small part of bringing um, Confederation Cup and World Cup 2018 for FIFA. So I was over in Russia for like three months. And then I got to go to the Maldives and sit on a boat with Chris Hemsworth for like a month and all this other stuff. How like, was he connected to those properties? Uh, so <laughs> we went to the Maldives for an ocean school experience. I, I don't mean to put it like that, but it was a glorified getaway party to the Maldives for a lot of people. And <laughs> You know, like it oh, was. Wait, what was the sponsor? Was it, it was it was Parlay and Corona, and you know we were there to capture content and you know talk about like education and sustainability in the ocean. And but you you go to the Maldives and MIA Chris Hemsworth, like all these like supermodels are there, and we're there to like kind of do a campaign, like a PSA, and like look. Chris Hemsworth, Hemsy, we, we had nicknames too. He calls me Stalsy, I called him Hemsy. And I, I said, you know, Chris, he's like, oh, hey, bro, Hemsy. You know, you just call me Hemsy. And like him and his boys there. Great. Did he actually say that? Or he, was said, that a joke? No, he did. He said, he did. Because I was in charge of walking him around a beach in the, the Maldives for like the week that he was there. And, uh, you know, once he kind of was like, oh, you're not like a typical schmuck, like working for the brand, you know, I was like, oh, Chris, I was like, Mr. Hemsworth, oh, yeah, Chris, Chris. And like his boys were like, yeah, you can call him Chris, man. It's no big deal. And I'm like, okay. And after the corona start flowing at night and we're all telling stories, like I'm sitting there next to him and two of his buddies, and I'm like, can I ask you one question? I'm going to fanboy out a little bit. And he's like, yeah, 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 go ahead. You know, sure, man. I was like, can I ask you what your favorite movie was that you ever did? And he's like, takes a big swig of his drink, puts it down. He's like, 
what do you think my favorite movie was that I ever did? And of course, he's expecting Thor. He's like, yes. at that time, he's like, yeah, you're going to say Thor. Everyone says Thor. And I'm like, I I hope it's Rush. I love Rush. Like He's like, Ron Howard was a genius. And he just starts going on this rant about the stories of making that movie. And he was just like, it was at that time, he was like, it was one of my favorite movies I ever got a chance to like do. And I just had that moment for like 30 minutes of like vegging out with Chris Hemsworth. Not just because I'm hoping that Hemsy's watching. But, uh, <laughs> Rush is, he was incredible in that. He was it's excellent. incredible. It's so a, good. Like it sounds dumb, but to be that good at being a hotshot race car driver, yeah. it does take like an incredible level of acting to like make me believe that you think that you're the greatest thing to ever touch a steering wheel. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, just that rivalry and that story that had to be covered, you know, now, modern day, working in motorsports a little bit, you realize those historical stories of, like, Nicky Lauda and everything are just so insane. Like, you know, there are moments in your life you look back on, and you're like, if I could live in a certain era of time, or, like, even a sports rivalry or something, where would I work? Like, or where would I live? I wish I could be back in the Formula One era of like, you know, that time frame because it was dope, man. Like even just learning more about Formula One historically versus now modern day, there's so much history to that sport. It's awesome. So so, so you went SI swimsuit, Maldives with Hemsey. Yes. What made you leave that? Um, money. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. Um, I, had, I had great experiences. Octagon is, to this day, no matter how many podcast conversations anything i do i tell people octagon was the the opportunity that got me in the door to, to everything i did is that what you told the fos uh, freelancer that one <laughs> <laughs> i i nobody got that joke no no that's for context for that's everybody they don't no it's the first live one we need yeah, to bring yeah, the people yeah, in have to so <laughs> We were talking. We were talking about front office sports. Our friend Adam White a little bit earlier tonight, and um, I was talking about like how I've known Adam since like the inception of what he was doing. And there was a freelance writer for earlier on in the website when they started getting it going, not to the powerhouse that it is today. And this this gentleman reached out to me and said, "Hey, I would love to write a piece on you, like a cover story." This was at a point where I had just left Octagon to go to Mosaic, which was an experiential marketing agency. And it was a full-blown like cover story on Andrew Stallings from media to agency. And if you still Google it to this day, you can find it. And it's just, I was so pumped at that point. I'm like, I'm in front office sports, yeah. But I'm like, could you at least have written it when I started up an agency and I was working with athletes? There's a little bit more to tell. Like at that point in my career, I just felt like so unestablished. And I'm like, oh man, like who's gonna read this except for my mom and dad and my aunt? They're gonna be like, oh yeah, it was great, Andrew. And he's just like, what? So, yeah, I, I told – I think I, I had to. I had to tell that freelancer just such a great story. Like, and about like, Hemsey. Not, yeah, about Hemsey. You know, like, I mean, like stories like this, they, I don't go off the cuff, but I know this is a more raw podcast, so I want to get behind the scenes of the cool stuff I've done. But, yeah, I mean, that was shit. Like, yeah, I was, tra- I was in Russia. I was in the Maldives. I was doing all this stuff. I was with celebrities, and it was great, but – you know, I, I wasn't making, and this is often a common thing, like, I, I wasn't making a ton of money at Octagon. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was making good, not great money, and that's no belittlement to them. The industry experience, it's fine. But when you're fighting against, again, people that are really smart and coming up and can kind of beat you on decks and Excel sheets, that stuff moves the meter because that's what drives the business. You can activate an event all you want, but 
to be an activation person versus a strategic person and a planner and more of the analytics, like that's what was moving the meter at the time. So I got hit up by another agency, uh, Mosaic. They're an experiential marketing agency and they were working with Bud Light in the US. Bud Light, sponsored. And, uh, and, and they were just like, yeah, we have this relationship. We need somebody to come help us grow this relationship a little bit more. And they had just done the Up For Whatever campaign. Like, they were the agency that launched Up For Whatever. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, that was huge. Like, I, I, I got to come meet with these people. And I came in, and it was just, like, I think they ended up, like, firing my boss in the first three months. It, he was, like, a big reason I wanted to go in there and do stuff. They ended up firing him. Um, you know, they started laying off people. It just was not as stable as I probably thought it was. That's agency life, though. Like, I'm sure if those who have worked in an agency, they understand the volatility is just so crazy. And I go there, and it was just a rocky ship. And I left for more money. And honestly, like, my wife had – my now wife, but then girlfriend had gotten diagnosed with cancer. And, and I, you know, she's great, healthy now. Like, everything's great. But, you know, I, I was like, I can't be traveling to Russia and hanging out with Hemsy in the Maldives. Like, I got to be – I got to be home. You know, I got to, like, be able to go to appointments and stuff. So this gave me an opportunity to be more U.S., like, stay, like, in the New York and tri-state area. So I took this job, ended up being miserable, um, hammered it out for 18 months, gave it my honest all. Um, no bad things to say. I, I still like some of the best individuals I got a chance to meet were at Mosaic. Um, still to this day, we went to war together and it was fantastic. And then right around that time, you know, I was playing men's league hockey with a few guys one night and, uh, you know, really close friends of mine who I'd worked at Octagon with six or seven Bud Lights deep. We went back and forth and it was just like, well, like, this is great. We're all working for the man. We all have our day jobs. We're like, what can we do? Like the, the entrepreneurial gear started going. And I was just like, man, I want to help athletes. Like I really want to help athletes. I don't know how. I know a lot of athletes. I got the chance over the years to meet so many great athletes. Like how do we help them? And they were creatives. Like they were like website logo guys. They were like, we can make them websites. We can make them brands. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, but – I want to like represent them and not just like on their behalf. I want to bring them to the table and be like, Hey, I want to educate you. Like I want to enhance what you're doing. So let's say you blow out your ACL. Maybe you can become your own agent one day. Maybe you can go represent your teammates. Like, I don't know. And I looked at NFL, NBA, there's players associations. There's so much red tape. There's so many restrictions. And I was like, okay, but what about rising sports properties? Like what about volleyball and tennis and you know, lacrosse? I was like, you need to be the first question. Do you need to be a lawyer? The short answer, no. Do you need to have an understanding of law negotiations or at least have a good team behind you and in your corner? Yes. And I was like, oh, well, I have a good team. I know a lot of people. Like, I'll do that. And so I started just taking my network and putting it to work for me. And we took two words, athletes, opportunities, smashed it together to make a funky little run-on word called Othello that most people can't pronounce, so it's good marketing. And we just said, like, okay, cool, we're going to help athletes. Start off with like one or two athletes, and it was. It was Do you remember sending sending your first guy? Or girl? Yeah, yeah, and it was because of it was because of the Maldives trip with Chris Hemsworth. Um, we were there, and there was this guy. I was in charge of talent as they were coming in. The last influencer or talent that got there, this guy traveled forty nine hours to get to the Maldives, oh. and he came from Maui, Hawaii, and he was a stand up paddleboarder windsurfer kayaker um like kind of just ultimate just the water. chillest guy ever. just like his, <laughs> well, his grandparents invented windsurfing 
Oh, is this Zane? Yeah, Zane. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was just like, I was like, okay, cool. And he shows up, I'll never forget, three in the morning, and I know, I'm looking at his itinerary, so I know when he's going to get in, gets off the boat to our yacht of where we are, and... And I'm just like, hey, Zane, what's up, man? I'm Andrew. I'm with Octagon, you know? And he's like, oh, aloha, Andrew. You know, just like complete aloha Hawaii spirit. And he's just like, hey, man, like, I need to freshen up a little bit. I was like, hey, let me show you to your room. You'll have a shower there, this and that. He's like, oh, I don't, I don't need to do all that. He's like, can I, like, is everyone, like, can I be, I don't mean to be loud, but if I jump in the water, am I going to wait? I was like, no, go ahead. And I'm like, I don't know what's in this water. We're in the middle of the Maldives right now. Like, and he's like, oh, I know these. Like, this guy has been in the ocean his whole life. And he's like, I am the ocean. I am Zane Schweitzer. And I'm like, okay. Goes up to the very top and like does a backflip off of. And this is three in the morning. Guy's been traveling 49 hours. Does a backflip into the water. And I'm just like, this guy's a kook. I was like, he is yacked up on something, and I want double. I was like, I don't know what's going on. That week. I, he was the, in a lot of ways, he was the catalyst for why a fellow group started. He misconceived, he thought, oh, you're with Octagon. I need an agent. I need you to be my agent. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not an agent, dude. I, you know, I'm on the other side. Dude, of I'm talking to you with your bags, dude. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, no, you're at Octagon. You're an agent. And he couldn't let it go. He's like, well, okay, if you're not an agent, you know somebody that is an agent, you can help me. And I'm like, Okay, Zane. <laughs> like, we'll stay in touch, man. You know, see you later. But we had so many conversations about it. Did you know in the back of your head at that time? Like, were you aware of the industry that, like, okay, I could recommend him to an agent, but that agent is working with Pat Mahomes or whoever it is, and Zane is going to be 148 of 150 on yeah. the roster list? Were yeah. you aware of that, or was that not quite an understanding at that point? Not as detailed. But I knew that he. I knew that the agents and people I knew at Octagon were likely not going to represent Zane Schweitzer. Like, mm-hmm. like Zane was so niche. And at that time, it's when I started, like, uncovering, okay, niches are great in a lot of ways, but they there's also, like, you're pitching against a pigeonhole consumer in a market. Like, it's very, very hyper, you know, local and small. And I was like, the people I knew, they were representing Emmett Smith and, like, you know, Michael Phelps at Octagon, you know, and Simone Biles. And, and I, I think I did send an email to one of the agents for on the Olympic side. And I was like, hey, like, you know, I met this guy in the Maldives. Like, here's your story. I don't think I, I got a response. And I'm just like, we're in the same company, man. Like, I never got a response. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. But, like, Zane, to his credit, followed up with me. And it was at that time that, like, we kept that relationship after the Maldives. I think I left, two like, a month or two after the Maldives trip to go to Mosaic. I think six months into Mosaic is when Othello Group kind of started to form as an idea. And Zane had always been in the back of my mind. Like, he just always kind of, like, albeit if intentional or not, he believes in me as, like, oh, you should be my agent. And I'll never forget, I gave him a call. I was like, hey, man, I'm doing it. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna try and be an agent. Like, I, to this day, don't like using the term agent because a lot of people, it's like, you have to be a lawyer to be an agent. And I'm like, I, I always like using the term management. Like, it means you know, 12 different things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be a manager. And he's like, he was without hesitation. Cool, I'm in. And I'm like, okay, but should we talk? Nope, I'm in. And I'm like, okay, but this is what I'm in. And I'm like, okay. And I talked to his mom, we're in. I'm like, okay. So, you know, yeah, I mean. What's he, Zane's handle, by the way? Zaniac1. Zane, yeah. And then what's the uh, Netflix show? Uh, uh, magnetic. Magnetic. <laughs> magnetic on Netflix. Yeah. Zane is. 
he's incredible in that. He's yeah, he's got a feature in there, and like Zane's just such a wild card athlete. Like we've we've been able to get deals with Fisker, um, which is like an electric vehicle company, and we've gotten deals with Now Foods. We've gotten deals with like so many like small niche brands, but also major brands with Zane, and it's it, it really is what kind of started the snowball effect. I was like, man, if I can take someone that's hyper niche like this that is so involved in sustainability, the environment, and everything else, and I can sell this. I was like, I can sell anything. And, and it was like kind of... Yeah, no, yeah. Talk, talk to me about like that, like how it went from three guys playing Memphis League hockey, you know, to like where it is today, like on, on that journey. Yeah, so, yeah, so oh. it, it was it was one of those things where I, I had the vision of, of athletes, I think, in a bigger scale. And in the back of my mind... It was always the Ari Gold, Jerry Maguire, like, oh, okay, I, can I be an agent without being an agent? Like, you know, that, that was the model for me. For the other two individuals I worked with, who I'm still very, I still play hockey with them every week. We're good friends. Um, I feel bad I stood them up on the golf course this morning, though. Um, <laughs> um, we had a 10 o'clock hockey game last night, and we were drinking beers, so come on. Um, but we, we were drinking Bud Lights. Bud Lights. Um, no, but we... If he's still tuned in, the, the exact, the, the one Bud Light is still tuned Oh, no, tuned we've, in. Lost, we've lost, like, three in between. This, yeah. this is... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, like, we just had different visions. And, you know, they, they helped really structure the foundation for what Othello Group was. Like, I think from an organization and admin standpoint, like, they helped us get it there, like, website, the legalities, and the LLCs and everything set up. But when it came down to it, what happened was, you know... Uh, when I was at Mosaic, I, I had left. You know, it was kind of like a mutual parting after three months. I'm sorry, after 18 months. And Othello Group, I was like just starting. I'm like, okay, hey, like this could be it. This could be it. Then I got a dream job opportunity to go work for like Constellation Brands on the brand side. And it was in down the road from my house, corner office. I had a car, great salary, all this stuff. And I still was like, okay, well, I guess Othello Group then goes to the back burner again. Like, I had a small gap in between those jobs, and I started thinking, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go Othello Group. It took a back burner again. But then at Constellation, I went and I got married um, three months into the job. On my honeymoon, came back, we landed on the tarmac, and all my voicemails loaded because I didn't get voicemails when I was in Mexico. And one of the HR people accidentally called me and was like, hello, Mr. Stallings. Um, we're here to call you about your severance package. If you could just give us a call back. And I'm like... I'm like literally sitting on the tarmac at JFK, just got married. My glowing wife is like five mimosas deep in first class. And she's just like so happy we're married. And I'm just looking at her. I'm like, oh my God, I just lost my job. And so I text my boss right away. No answer. She was very responsive in the meantime. Didn't respond. She had to be. There was a process probably. They were going to tell me that Monday. Came in that Monday, 6 a.m., Hey, when you sit down with you, and I was part of like a massive layoff just due to sales, first quarter sales. I was mm. last in, first out. And so I was crushed. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to give myself five months to make a Othello Group. Like this, I'm going to, sure, I'll interview other places. If I get another job, cool. I'm doubling down on Othello Group. And I told the two guys, and it's funny because those guys were like, if you ask them, their dream was like, we're going to quit our jobs. Othello Group's going to be it. Like, that's, like, that was always them. To me, I was like, man, Othello Group can always be a side hustle. I'm comfortable working for the man. I'm good with that. And they, were, they thought opposite. When the hand is forced and you have to sink or swim, it's like, okay, now you have to actually do it. Are you going to do it? And I did it. 
and, and I and I sat there and I started. I was putting in 18-hour days, just reps, reps, getting to know people, talking to athletes, surveying people, studying the industry. Five months in, I had to make a decision. I I, I had everything lined up for what was going to probably be a very next big month, but I was like, I have to buy out my business partners. And, and I was like, if this is gonna, if I'm gonna be able to pay rent, I got to buy out my business partners. Had the conversation. They were like, sure, like we're we're fine with it. We have our day jobs. We get it. Cool. Like no harm, no foul. We sit down and I just remember I had to write these big checks to them and it's nothing more demoralizing like to your ego that even though you know like the books say you're going to do success, you're going to be fine, you're still so scared and you're like, oh, I have to write these checks. Give them the checks. They're like, cool, thanks, man. You know, we're still friends. High fives. And I'm like, yeah. See you yeah, mentally. Yeah, see you mentally. Literally, that night we had a mentally game and I remember I was just, oh, it's one of the worst games I ever played. I was just so in my own head. The next month, we tripled the money that I ended up giving away to them. And it just, it was in that moment, it was in that moment that, you know, it was like, this is it. Like Othello Group is gonna be a thing. Now it's like, how do we grow? How do we structure? And to date, we have about 25 athletes we're managing and over 110 different brands and properties. And that's been in three years. So, so Mike, one of my biggest questions for you and like something that I always find like, kind of admiring too in a way because me and Jake do our own thing right but like yeah. at least like I have somebody to call and be like Jake mom like you know like <laughs> but like I thought they were going to say I thought they were going to say um so how did you do it? How did you buy them? Out? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so uh, how do I yeah, get rid of this guy? Like, uh, no, um, but like, no, like being solo, like how, like I always think it's really nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off, like highs or great, share highs, share lows. But like when it's just you and 25 athletes, right? Like shit's got to get done. Right. And, yeah. and it's like, everything stops and starts with you period. And like end of the day. Yeah. So, like what, what, like, how do you how do you do it? There, there's no there's no clear answer. There there really isn't because I struggle every single day and I, it, it's it's extra hard because you know you guys know me well enough. I'm a I'm a huge extrovert, right? Like I'm a people person. I need to talk to people. So when I'm stuck in my office at home and I can't do certain things, um, I can't talk to people or you know I'm at the mercy of like Zoom calls, like you know just to, just to have conversations and get creative and have ideas you really have to lean on your network and you have to build your trust circle. And that's the, that's the biggest thing is that I have probably a group of like 10 to 15 individuals from different facets of the world of sports, business, venture capital, equity, philanthropic that I can go to just to shoot the shit. Now granted, I schedule meetings, I respect their schedules and what have you, but there's some that I can also just pick up the call, like phone and call. And yeah, like we're wildly free. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. But but that's that's what I, I have to do and it's and it's still so scary and frustrating because you know there's there's still like that trust and that vulnerability you're like can I really trust this person like I talk to people that are working at like CAA like you know and like we're technically competitors but like I, we're, we're we're helping each other out because we're both kind of still in that like hey we're not going after the same client but how are we getting better how are we getting better and it's I've built that community like marketing buzzword but like it's I've, I've built a community of authentic people that I can lean on and I'm I'm not telling you it's like full bulletproof like five years these same people are going to be in my network I switch people out I, I kind of put it like sub people in and out because 
also ideas need to be fresh. You need to be talking to new and innovative, innovative people. Like you don't need to be talking to somebody that worked at MasterCard for 40 years. Like they don't know everything. It's usually the person that is five years in at that's worked three cool, unique jobs and hopped around. They kind of have some fresh ideas and concepts of like where things are going. So it's, it's really picking your team, building your team. It's almost like a fantasy draft, right? Like you're, you're building, like, you know, you're picking your two running backs, your quarterback, your three wide receivers and your flex. And you're like, okay, who am I going? And you're switching it out every season. Like, and that's the way I've always looked at it is like, who is my fantasy team of knowledge and success? And those individuals really help set me up every day and they don't even realize it. Like they probably don't even know that they're on my fantasy team because I try to keep it so natural and organic just like hey we're like we're buds you know we're cool like in a lot of ways i consider you guys part of that crew because it's like we're <laughs> yeah. minute, minute. i was waiting for it so i got really <laughs> hope i'm part of the minute they're, 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 they're the punters but like kickers put up points yeah. Boy, Scrag, uh, put up points on fantasy teams though like they do like <laughs> if you have a kicker at your kicker has a bad week but you're the Cairo Santos of my fantasy team. <laughs> there we go. So no, but but it's it really is. It's it's finding that team and it's it's finding those individuals because look, in a lot of ways, you know, Jake, you and I met first and then you know got lucky enough to meet make Dave through this. But it's always been something where like we we're in the same industry in a lot of ways. Like it, technically, there are some competitive elements to what we do, but we've always had just kind of that same respect and facade. Like hey, how can we help each other? Like what, what's a little bit of knowledge based information. And, and that's what's helped me, to answer your question, is that there's no one key, but I've, I've built a fantasy team. It doesn't yeah. feel like just like, like solo, solo, just well, you, yeah. you know. Well, like, there's, and, there's and like, like you're talking about, like on paper, we're, we're not competitors, but if you're explaining it to somebody, if you're explaining what we do to a, a random person. My mom like, would think we're yeah, going after the same right. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious yeah. thinking about like yeah. how much we've benefited from just conversations every three months. Yeah, yeah 100%. Like, and how much we get out of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you guys think, you know, in terms of, like, talk to me just about, like, the struggles, but also w- having that I'm sounding board. I'm the interviewer now. Well, no, oh, yeah. sounding, I'm just kidding. The, I, the sounding board is amazing, Yeah, and it's one of the things I'm most grateful for, but at the same time, it's it's a lot trickier than just... Yeah. But you guys... Than just... Oh, all the time. You butt heads, right? Like, oh, you have different, yeah, different opinions. So, like, how do you how do you look at that from a business standpoint? And at what point have you guys, you know, looked at it as? Because a lot of people don't understand. There's a personal relationship before business, which right. is what you we guys were, have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's like when it comes into business now, like, wh- like how do you have that business acumen and maturity to be like, look, he knows better because this is going to be a best. Like, like what do you have to do to prepare yourself for like looking at that mindset differently? I think we are both so self-aware that we know when the other person's getting either digging too deep into the personal when they're angry or at the same time when it's something that the other person's insecure about, I think the other person is usually aware of it and pumps the brakes and lets the other, and lets the other person say, okay, I was wrong. Got it. Yeah. I think that's happened both, both ways since I've been here. Yeah. I think that like just I was just gonna say self-aware. I think like both of us have extremely different strengths and weaknesses, right? And then also it's like, all right, like I know Jake's better than me at this. Like I know, like so I should probably trust his opinion, and like I just need to swallow my pride and like go with it because like that's the only way. Like 
this thing doesn't work is if I like okay I catch myself vice versa I catch one of us catches ourselves in our ego or something and then it's like okay like this isn't gonna like work we're just gonna argue blah 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 is it's a double-edged sword to it but like I do think like having that sounding board is huge because it's a it's iterations it's iterations it's like the the metaphor we use today when like someone's digging into work there's always work you know that yeah. like there's yep. always work to be done mm-hmm. but there's times where people where both of us do this where we're digging into work that we shouldn't be doing either because one it's not our strength or two because we should be outsourcing it yep. but we're just doing it and the other person's trying to save them from doing it so the metaphor we use is like you're tossing a life raft out mm-hmm. but sometimes like if you just do that and say hey man stop working on that it's not important right. like it doesn't mean shit it doesn't right. mean shit yeah. you're tossing the life raft 30 feet to their right right yeah you yeah. have to actually give them the concrete way to yeah. get out of it and you're tossing life and, and, and then point. last thing i'll touch on it but it's also like it is like a a girlfriend relationship yeah. thing it is like one of like i was talking to one of my buddies before i'd like jump ship or whatever but like he was like okay like guess how the, the how long the average marriage lasts he says eight years he's like guess how long the average co-founder relation lasts eight years it's the same fucking thing like it's like it's just like you need to be ready to walk down the aisle and and do it because shit's shit happens it's like the same exact thing how you do maintenance on this like Mm -hmm. you're you're talking as much so like yeah there's a lot of uh a lot of things you gotta gotta figure out but i i i commend you too and like it was my biggest thing is like i could never like it's it's lonely enough yeah. Right? It's like very lonely, even though I have Jake, yeah. like that, where it's like, okay, when it would just be me, it would be like, I can't even amount, like yeah. put myself in the shoes. So that's one thing that I've always kind of wondered too, is just like, it's impressive. No, I appreciate it. I mean, it's, 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 it's scary and it does get very, very lonely at times. Yeah. And, and I think for me, it's, it's relying on and even understanding that you need your outlets, right? Yeah. You know, like you need to go play hockey. You need to go, you need run. your butt light. You need, <laughs> you need your light, right? But uh, you know, you do need outlets though and, and more than ever you just need to to understand that work needs to stop and yeah. i am the worst at that i will never stop i will leave here tonight i will drive back an hour to my house i will go up to my office i will open my laptop and probably get lapsed in three hours of work i don't need to right like i and i am horrible at time management and like i i own my my weaknesses so much more than my strengths i suck at time management um and i really really suck at you know, delineating, resourcing, and outsourcing stuff, because I'm I'm so margin focused. I'm just like, okay, I need to keep my margins low, 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 low. And I look and I look at the bank account, and I'm just like, I don't need, I don't need, I'm good, yeah, I'm fine. But could I, should I, to take that extra time and maybe put it towards my wife, like you know, my my family, like my dogs, like yeah. I mean, dude, I'm 33 years old, and I don't know about you guys, I've I've had friends that. Have just they've died they've died you know I've had cousins family members dead gone the mom gone and it's like dude you just don't know like not mm-hmm. to get morbid but you just don't know and like works great success is great but Bud Lights are great <laughs> you know <laughs> oh but that's so. yeah that's it that yeah. we it's we a balance talk, it's mm-hmm. a balance last thing we need to talk about I mean what everybody's talking about what Twitter is a buzz about. The Firecracker 400. You sponsored the winning car of the June 16th esports series. How does it feel? Yeah. So Take us through that journey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You, get, you guys ask questions that I can't condense to 15-second answers. Yeah. So, <laughs> we just leave them so open-ended. I know. I'm just like, ah, you know, where do we go? Um, so 
So Parker Kligerman is a NASCAR driver uh, that I, he's a, he's one of my best friends and he's a, one of our clients at Othello Group. Great and, personality. Like, yeah, yeah, beyond being a driver. Yeah, like, no, I, he's, I, I follow. Him. Yeah, he's good. I mean, he does stuff with NBC Sports. He he races actively in the NASCAR Truck Series. But the thing that he's always loved is esports. Like he has harnessed and carried the flag for motorsports esports for the last decade. And if you think about it, I, I was telling you guys this earlier in the evening. You can't play Madden and expect to be as good as Saquon Barkley Like the minute you put the sticks down. You can't play NBA 2K and be as good as LeBron. But if you get into a race simulator and you go to some of these tracks, you can be at least as competitive in some degree as some of NASCAR and other motorsports and IndyCar, some of their biggest talents. And this is how they practice. Like This is what they use. Like These simulators... You're going to race Daytona in the same configuration that Daytona is currently at. And you're shaking and you're going through the bumps and the draft and the aerodynamics and the car setup. There's nothing like it in motorsports when it comes to esports. Like, mark my words, it is going, and, and I'm not drinking the Kool Aid. I, I legitimately do believe it took me a long time. It really did. Parker will tell you. I mean, you but, were the guy who hated NASCAR. I did. I hated NASCAR yeah, to begin yeah. with. And, and, and here I am. I represent two NASCAR drivers and an IndyCar driver now. And I, I to this day, am like, I have my reservations, but motorsports and esports is going to be, like, for sports esports, it is going to be the next big thing. I promise you. So Parker and his friend, other NASCAR driver, Landon Castle, together they create um, and put on these esports tournaments and events, and they do it as like an homage to you know old school NASCAR. So they're doing this event currently called the Firecracker 400, which pays homage to like you know old school NASCAR setups and like the Fourth of July setup and what they do and, and how the old cars raced on Fourth of July weekend. And um, last year, they the hashtag for the entire three week event had over 5.2 million impressions. They had over 300,000 views. First time doing this event with, I think, two, 300 people signed up for it. They are two days in there at this point of recording right now. They are one and a half days in to doing the event. And the hashtag for the Firecracker 400 has over 10.8 million impressions. And the viewership is forecasted to almost double, you know, than what it was last year. So 600,000 views potentially. So I was talking to Parker last week and I said, hey, you know, you're gearing up for this big thing. They do a broadcast, they do a big stream, all this stuff. I said, how many entries do you have coming into this event? He's like, oh, you got 400 some cars, you know? I'm like, wow, it's great, you know? And it's compiled of average Joes, like me or you guys, you know? And then it has like real NASCAR drivers. The elite guys, so like the yeah. elite, just pure esports guys. Yep. Has anyone ever made the jump? From esports, <laughs> um, I, there I, needs to be a thirty for thirty about that. If, if that ever happens, um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say yes or no because I, I really don't know. Not to like Dale Earnhardt Jr. levels, certainly not. But I do think like there, there's a driver, Timmy Hill, and Timmy Hill is probably one of the most underdog NASCAR drivers in the world. Like, never can seem to quite get a sponsor that he deserves has always just like you know similar to parker like he raced i racing and simulation racing his whole life and he'll go and race kurt bush kyle bush dale Earnhardt jr on like these all-star i i racing you know nationally broadcasted events and he'll beat them because they have equal cars there's no advantage to like you know the race setups and money and he'll beat them 
And this guy like, has become a fan favorite, especially in the last two years. And he's, you know, like the hero of like NASCAR and even simulation racing in a lot of ways. And he races real life NASCAR, races Xfinity and Cup and trucks and does all this. But he's certainly not blowing away the world in real life NASCAR. But he is the underdog fan favorite of, of NASCAR because of what he's done in simulation racing. If you're running a real life team, why do you not put money behind it? Is it pure just brand name, like brand recognition? Is that is like... I mean, I think it goes into what we do, right? If you if you have a really... And, and this is a little bit of the problem with motorsports, right? And this is a problem with a lot of sports, is that you have the old school method and way of selling sponsorship and partnerships. And I personally, I hate the word sponsorship. Like modern day, everything is a partnership. It's a dialogue. It's a give and take. It's not just, hey, this is your price for what we're doing. And I think in motorsports, someone like Timmy Hill... I, and again, I, maybe I'll get backlash for this. He may have an agent. He may not. I know he certainly doesn't have an agent or a management team or a creative strategy team that's able to go out and get partners that see that value, right? Like he doesn't probably have someone that can go to TikTok or Triller and bring them into the sport, you know, and say, hey, like, guys, look what I'm doing on East. Like this is your market like these people the same people that are on these iRacing events are on tick like they're they're turning off the simulator and getting on tiktok for hours like how do we bring tiktok into the sport or something for the record tiktok has come into nascar last year to do some stuff but you know what same same doing like what are those same like-minded brands i don't think that they have those assets and resources like those athletes don't have that team around them and they can't afford to have that team around them to really build that up and we see that, all three of us, and what we do. And it's, it's a shame because, I mean, I personally, I've never met Timmy. I think he's a great story, and, and I think he's a great driver. Great um, name. Yeah, it's a great name, you know, and he's obviously doing things. But he is one of hundreds of NASCAR drivers that if the field was not based so much on money in motorsports, they would be winning championships. They absolutely would. And it all comes down to the money coming in, to what the sponsorship model entails, and what the teams are putting into for their race setups. And it's very, very difficult because some teams are going bare bones and they're not putting a lot of that money in, they're, they're putting the money to keep the lights on, you know, but they're not putting it into the race car setup to actually win races. And then you have juggernauts like Hendrick Motorsports and Ganassi and Penske that they've been doing it so long and they have such billionaire powerhouses running those teams. It's down to a system. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's a system. Yeah. So it, it's just a different beast. But, you know, someone like Timmy Hill, I mean, for those that don't know, he's, he's, he's a great dude. Like, I mean, from, from what I've watched and seen, he's always deserved a fair cut. He's won, like, a lot of fan votes in NASCAR for certain things. But uh, but anyways, you know, like, this, this whole thing with the Firecracker 400 came about, and, and I told Parker, I said, you have 400 entries. How many of them are sponsored? And he's like, uh, you know, a good amount of them. Like the good racers, you know, they're sponsored. Or they'll just put their own custom paint schemes on the car, like based on companies they like. Like, oh, I, I love, you know, Bud Light, so I'm going to make a Bud Light car or something. You know, because it's not really a commercialized race. Yeah. So, you know, I said, well, do any of them need sponsors? Like, can I sponsor? He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could. So I put out a bounty, and I just said, hey, I'm going to sponsor 10 cars. Here's the price I'm going to do it, and there's going to be an incentive system. Like, the most creative marketing campaign is going to, you know, be up for an additional bonus of this much money. And out of these ten cars, the person that finishes the highest in the Firecracker 400, they get an extra thousand dollars. 
And I was like, through Othello Group, my agency, I'm putting this up. I'm putting my money into it. But out of the 10 cars, I'm going to use this as a pass-through asset for some of my clients and brands and athletes. So I went to 10 different companies overnight, Sunday night, and I got brand assets, approval, everything. And we had 10 cars designed, ready to go by Tuesday night for the first you know, preliminary events. And, you know, as it went off, like, I think I have a few that have been eliminated. They didn't make the first cut of 11 already. Like, but they, they've been such good brand ambassadors. Like they take to Twitter and they're like, oh, thank you so much. Like American brew, you know, for all like manscaped and 1821, like, you know, like it's free exposure and like it's pennies on the dollar for me. And I'm also getting to educate them, these brands on how this works. But I think to what we're getting at is that there was one special car tonight, guys, that really <laughs> took the field. And, and mind you, these are preliminary heats. This is a three-week event until the main event. And it, but there it's, were 43 people trying to win tonight. <laughs> trying to win at least top 11 to advance. And Tucker Minter needed to just get in the top 11. And when we turned it on tonight, when we I was trying to explain to these guys about how this works, he was running 14th, 15th, something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's right, right around 11, 12, right? Just coming, going in and yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, in and out, high and low. And I was just like, oh, it's a bummer. Like the Othello Group car, you know, the one car I sponsored and put my agency all over, the neon green machine, it's not going to make it. And we're talking and like, you know, all of us are kind of keeping our eye on it. And as it's getting closer and closer and closer to the last lap, like Jaff's telling me, hey, he's up to six. And then Jake's like, hey, he's up to fourth. And then I'm like, oh, shit, he's up to first. You know, just losing my mind. And next thing you know, we're, we're just sitting there on that last lap and fist pumping. And I felt like I just – I felt like Robert Kraft. Motley, like, <laughs> Motley Cruz pumping. Yeah, Molly Cruz in the background, like kickstart my heart. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And, like, I, I literally felt like Robert Kraft after his first Super Bowl. I was just like, this is amazing. I, I Like Tom Hanks, like, I. I created fire. Like, you know, they – Tucker okay. Mentor led two laps of that race. <laughs> it, but it was the it two was laps. The most important two laps. <laughs> it was the two laps that mattered. So cheers to uh, to you, cheers. Tucker Mentor. To Tucker Mentor. Yeah. And, to and Tucker tune in next week, yeah. right? Yeah. For, for Tucker to take home the crown. I, and yeah. to possibly have a how the fuck did you get that job car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're terrible at ending these, so we end it with the quick question round. Today, brought to you by Your Money Vehicle. Your money vehicle. Learn how to use money. U-S-E. That is understand, strategize, and David? Efficiency. Efficiency with your money. The number one online financial literacy tool, your money vehicle. If you have a recent graduate in your life, any young adult, they need your money vehicle. Jed Collins. Use your money. Got into the finance field thought, hey, not a lot of people actually know what they're doing. Not a lot of people are saving money. When you were when you were going gym to bartending to Sirius XM in the morning, mm -hmm. saving, was that on your mind? Roth? Bucket, IRA, bucket system? Bucket system? No, it's not. It can be with your money vehicle. Get your money vehicle today. USE money. Efficiency. The quick question around, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at you, but that's well done. Well done. done right there. Yeah. Was, that, was, that was from God. That was <laughs> <laughs> uh, number one, person you'd most want to sit down to dinner with, dead or alive? 
if, if I'm going sports, I, I would probably want to sit down with Eric Lindros um, just because I'm a huge hockey guy. Uh, my whole life was huge into hockey. Flyers fan growing up, but Capitals fan after I moved to D.C., you know, right in the Ovechkin era in the beginning uh, moments of it. So, you know, Eric Lindros would, would love to kind of talk to him a little bit. Uh, but I think historically, you know, is somebody that's just impact. I think uh, FDR. I would really want to sit down with FDR and just and just go toe to toe on philosophical thinking. Or Voltaire. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I, first I, like, Voltaire. That's three great answers. Yeah. And for, first Eric Lindros. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So all over the place with it, but I'm, that's that's where I want to go. Favorite city in the world. I've been I've been to almost every single major city in the United States except for New Orleans, and hmm. I need to get to New Orleans because I, I think I would love New Orleans. I really do. Um, Lake Tahoe. We gotta go. Yeah. Lake I, Tahoe. Favorite city. Lake, Lake, Lake Tahoe. I it, in this moment right here right now, if I could go to anywhere, it'd be Lake Tahoe. If right. if I needed to go anywhere else, I would still probably choose Lake Tahoe. Is it okay to sleep with socks on? Yeah. Yeah. Who's on? Yeah. It it um. is, but they have to be. Here's the thing: you're only gonna sleep in socks if they're heavy wool socks, and it's in the winter time. You're not sleeping in like ankle socks, right? You're not sleeping yeah. in like knee high Nike socks. You're going heavy duty wool socks. It's or cold. Nothing. It's yeah. cold. Yeah. Right. You're, That's it. You're in the you're in the gross minority. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, We've done a hundred episodes. It's, it's about like eighty seven thirteen. I was gonna say, say ninety one to nine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, favorite rom com. Uh, there's the one with uh, Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell. Crazy stupid love. Crazy stupid love. Absolutely crazy stupid love. I think that's the number one answer yeah. on this question. Yeah, I, I like crazy stupid love a lot. Um, yeah, I, I stick with crazy stupid love. Yeah, that's 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 a great one. Yep. Um, best spot to eat in Stanford, Connecticut. Stanford, Connecticut. Capital <laughs> Grill. Uh, <laughs> Capital Grill. That's such a like franchise answer. Come on. <laughs> um, well, okay. I'm, I'm gonna let my personality come out a little bit, right? So. Where I lived in Stanford, I was on the border of Stanford and Greenwich. And if you've lived in Stanford, that area is a little Stan bit. San Vegas. San Vegas, yeah. but it's it's a, it's not. It's like the underdeveloped part of Stanford, right? So there is a strip club in that area called Beamers, and <laughs> I constantly to this day make the joke on anybody. I'm like, where are we going to dinner? Oh, we're going to Beamers tonight. Oh, we're going to this. Why are we going to Beamers? Oh, we're going to go get the buffet special at Beamers, man. So uh, I think if anyone asked me and I didn't say Beamers, they'd be disappointed. I will say Bobby V's is a really good wing place um, in Stanford. Otherwise, breakfast sandwiches are probably the number one thing that Stanford is not known for, but they should be known for. Breakfast sandwiches. Bobby V is pretty good. Bobby like, is it Bobby Valentine? Yeah. 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 He's got his own like Buffalo Wild Wings kind awesome. of joint. Running yeah. for mayor. Yeah, I was gonna say he's running for yeah. mayor. Yeah. 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 yeah, he is. One thing me sports athletes need to do more of. Put in the reps. But just put in the reps. Um it, it's on cons- social or just in their craft? It, just anything. It, it's it's consistency, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's consistency in asking questions, it's consistency in posting social, it's consistency in failure. Um they're, they're the one thing that I just I always hammer on to any new athlete I take on is be consistent. And it is like, it's okay to be a little like follow. Like we're not going to go to the gym seven days a week. That's fine. Treat your workout, treat your health the same way you treat your brand and you treat your business mentality. Like really put in the reps to understand, challenge yourselves, challenge your management team, challenge your family, challenge those in your circle to really get better and help you get better. And that just 
become by being constantly curious and putting in the reps. That's the two number one. The two, you can't have two number ones. The two things you can do <laughs> to be really sponsored really by about that. Yeah, one um, <laughs> A, one B. Yeah. Changing this one also, Jake. Uh, greatest Newport News athlete ever. Ooh. Yeah, that's, what, that's what, an easy one. Well, I, I think it's easy, but it's it's probably up for debate a little bit. But I think it's very easy. Yeah, Michael Vick. It's Mike Vick. Yeah, he, like Michael Vick. So the fun fact: the Vick neighbors, his aunt was my neighbor growing up. So I got to spend a lot of time with Michael Vick when he was in high school. Awesome guy, incredible guy. I really wish I could sit here and tell you that his brother was the same, um, but he's not. <laughs> just hasn't seemed to quite get it figured out just yet. Um, but Michael Vick. Again, great coming in again story. I think he's awesome. You know, I to this day, I, I think he's, again, an awesome human being. I I think everyone deserves a second chance. Michael Vick, incredible athlete. He could still play in the NFL today if you want. Can't sleep on Plaxico. No, Plaxico's good. Um, Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks is also. Sam Chancellor. Yep. Yeah. Uh, isn't Allen Iverson from New Hampton. 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 Hampton, which is right got next it. door. Hampton got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Hampton Roads counts. Hampton Roads counts. There's, there's a lot of un- – so you have I – Because mean, I thought that was the AI Michael Vick. I thought oh, it was so be you like, thought you were – yeah. I yeah. thought I was going to get one of those two answers. Yeah, I mean, but you have – Aaron Brooks was – yeah, Aaron Brooks, but, like, not going to – Nah, he, he was – you know, he wasn't as good. But, like, we have a lot of good baseball players that come out of Tidewater, too. Like, Ryan Zimmerman, the Upton brothers. Um, trying to think. Someone was telling me the other day. Like, I played against uh, Zimmerman and, and uh, Justin Upton in high school, and they whooped us, like, every time. At Green Brown Christian Academy. They and LT's this. from Williamsburg. Yep, LT. Yep, that's right. K- yeah. KG from the rafters. Yeah. The Newport News. Hey. I've yeah. been through school in Virginia. My, my uh, roommate's from Virginia Beach, so I have to know the area. Uh, I, love it. I love it. I've heard yeah. both those things about Michael and Marcus Vick. But Marcus Vick, if you're listening, <laughs> you should come on the podcast. <laughs> or. It's not like you're doing anything else. Sponsor the quick question round. He, he doesn't have Either's an option. Doesn't have <laughs> I don't even care if you. In 40 years, what will people be nostalgic for? I I hope I hope this is the answer. I hope that we we get over this phase of technology where it becomes so addicting and social media is so addicting that we look back on it and it's something like wow, like social media was so cool. I deep down know that like in our business social media drives a lot of what we do, but I also personally hate and I lose sleep at night because I'm so addicted to my cell phone. I, I am constantly addicted to my cell phone, my Apple Watch and technology that it it removes me from stuff that I know in 20 years from now I'm going to look back and say I wish I had just spent more time getting outside, going outdoors. And I hope that it becomes a nostalgia play. I hope that it becomes something that we bring back and say, oh yeah, that was cool. Like maybe we can reinvent social media. I hope it takes a break. I really hope it does. And I think deep down we all want that, but we all as humans are addicts and we are addicted to everything in life. So I hope it's social media. I, in some capacity, I hope we just can find the guardrails to, to evolve social media to somewhat of a more healthy entertainment structure. It's a great answer. Everybody goes the other way. Everybody goes the other way. Everybody goes the other way. Face to face interaction. It's so. gonna be done, or touching a tree is just gonna be over with. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm telling you what I hope. No, no, no. 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 Andrew, I, I, Andrew, I love that yeah, answer. Andrew, I want that answer to be correct. Andrew's yeah. manifesting it. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Trying. Yeah. Yes. Trying. Yeah. Trying. One thing people don't understand about working for yourself is you're gonna fail three times more 
then you probably the the successes that people see and, and that we're like we're we're always demonstrating the the success right and as much as I, I even myself too I cringe at the people that are trying to make failure as cool as a success on social media and LinkedIn and stuff I, I give them credit but at the same time it's not entertainment to me I don't relate to that because we all want to be boosted up we don't want to be dragged down by negativity and I think as you know a business owner you know, a lot of people think and they see all the successes, but we have no other choice, right, of, of what to do. Like we have to position a winning mindset in order to win. So for me, it's it's just being real that they probably do understand that, you know, you're gonna fail, but I think the, the number one thing is that you're gonna have a massive case of imposter syndrome as a solo business owner. And even just doing this podcast, like there are moments where like something comes out of my mouth and I'm like, uh, like I know I did that, but like, uh, do I feel com- like someone's gonna challenge me in the comments or tweet me about that? And it's, it's you have to be able to champion the challenges from people in this world, and you're gonna get them ten times harder the more successful you get. So the more that you portray success and people see you succeed, the heavier the weighted vest becomes of people trying to drag you back down. And it's you just have to be comfortable with that. You have to be comfortable with this world of unknown and unfamiliarity and, and just prevail. You have to learn to prevail in your own right and own mind. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? <sighs> I've gotten a lot of bad advice. Um, so much bad advice, really. But the bad advice is really what makes you better when you learn that it is bad advice. I've had bosses discourage me from speaking up um, and having a voice uh, I, I think because they've been threatened by my outgoingness and my willingness to try and be a leader, not not to overtake their role, but really just try and be and learn how to lead. And, and I've had a lot of people just from an intimidation standpoint, you know, be like, you shouldn't do that. You know, you shouldn't speak up to meetings. You shouldn't raise your hand. And I mean, inevitably, that's the stupidest advice you could ever give somebody. Like, you know, even the interns that I I bring on every single day with or every six months with a fellow group, I tell them, like, I I want you to champion your own voice. Like, I want to bring you to meetings with some of the biggest brands and athletes. I want you to talk to them. I don't want to dominate the conversation. Like, I'll do it when I need to to close the deal. You know, ABC, always be closing. But at the same time, you do it. You got to learn, right? And I think I look at internships the way that you know what I didn't get in my internships right and that was the opportunity to stand up have a voice and and fail and not just fail fall back and like be completely blown away but fail fall into the crowd and be thrown right back up on stage and I I've had so many bosses that I just think I think had a personal threat they've just been like you're too outgoing you're too loud you're too eccentric and like I know I am I, I know I'm like some people love and hate what I what I am and who I do, but you gotta embrace it. And I want people to be able to embrace no matter how shy they are or you know uncomfortable in their own skin that they are. Like that it's okay. It's it's okay to speak up and figure this stuff out. So uh, you know I I just laugh because to me you're gonna tell me of all people to not talk. You're high. Like I'm like gonna talk my ear. I'm gonna talk everyone's ear off. Like. Tell me this isn't the longest freaking podcast you guys have ever fucking done. Like, come on. Uh, Whitney Holtzman actually holds the record at... Is she? Probably like an hour 45. It was like an hour 50. Uh, to be fair, 
It was before we, we, Dan- did, we did two parts. We did of that two one. parts on that one. Really? Yeah. Whitney was great. Dave and I were not the seasoned podcast hosts we are now, where we ask questions, guide the conversation. You felt it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whitney, Whitney drove the ship on that one. We were just uh, along for the ride. So, so she she was kind of just telling stories and then asking you guys questions to fill. No, in. I, I she's can't. incredible. She was like probably, she's, she was probably like we were all. Like we, what, like, what is she? We who, were, is, who is she? What does she do? I, I don't think she, I know her. Whitney Holson, shout out, runs Social Victories, um, does a lot of work with like NFL athletes. Okay. And uh, she was. Uh, she does a little bit of the marketing, but more of the like community uh, engagement stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, let's. Um, how many? Let's add more questions on this. I want to beat her. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we gotta be close. I feel like we we've gotta been be close. Nine hours. We, gotta, we started probably around like what eight thirty. That's a good ten minute lap break in there for the yeah. white yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hour and a half. Oh, we're close. Fifteen minutes. Let's drag it out. Uh, uh I'm dragging. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's eleven. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In one sentence, how do you sum up the internet? Scary. I, I'm not even going to use one sentence. I'm going to use yeah. one word. It, it's 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 so scary because it holds every single bit of information that anybody could ever want. Um, I, I'm not going to get. I'm I'm not going to get into the topic of college education and do you need to go to colleges and that. But I am a firm believer that if you want to learn anything, you can find it online. Like anything in this world. And to me, that is so intimidating and scary. As much as it's a great resource, it's it's AI working for you, but also working against you in some ways because it oh, it's the all-knowing, it's the almighty. And the internet is just a scary, scary place of, of what you know potentially it can capture, what it can do, um, and what it probably knows more about you than we realize. Um, but I, I just think it's, again, it goes back to my thoughts on social media. I just... I think there's a time and place and purpose, and I hope, I really hope that we find kind of a, a little bit of a gap, you know, sooner than rather than later, because the more that we rush to advance internet, uh, entertainment, technology, what have you, like, what are we trying, like, yeah, of course we want to solve the world's problems and stuff, I get that, but at one point does empathy and emotion play into some of this stuff? You know, it's same thing with marketing. You can have the wittiest, coolest, loudest Super Bowl show in the world sometimes putting a puppy in front of you for five seconds is just the winning answer to any marketing campaign like putting like tying in people's heartstrings and empathy is just it I don't know I, I think it's it's one of the one things that the number one thing I always go back to with marketing is empathy and I think when it comes to the internet it there is no empathy right there's keyboard warriors there's anger there's hate there's no, there's nothing but negativity in a lot of ways and I hope in a lot more ways we can find the optimism with it. So it's just a scary place. It's scary. There's good. There's also bad. So it's scary. Who's somebody you think should hop on this podcast? A lot of people. Hemsy. Hemsy. <laughs> hey, Hemsy, how the fuck did you get that job? Um, you know, I've had the privilege of meeting so many athletes um, over the years. I think that they're some of the athletes that we work with, it's truly interesting to understand how their story evolves. You know, at least the ones that we work with. Like we talked about Parker earlier on. Parker was from Westport, Connecticut and decided to pick up go-kart racing, you know, when I think he was like 12 or 13. Ended up being one of Penske Racing's top prospects and drivers by the time he was like 18, 19 years old. 
that trajectory in that short amount of time for a kid that's not being groomed in North Carolina is huge. Not only that, he raced at NASCAR's top series, got bumped out of a ride, and then he went over to NBC and became one of the youngest broadcasters in NBC Sports history. And, like, there's there's incredible elements to what he's done, and he's, you know, 29, 30 years old, and he's still like, yeah, you know, whatever, I'm still a dude. Westport, I love tequila. Like, just goes out, crushes. So, uh, you know, I would say Parker. I think he's, he's awesome, but if you want a good laugh and if you really want to beat the hour 45-minute mark, you bring Zane on. Zane, Zane, <laughs> Zane will talk your freaking Whoa. ear off. My God. We'd love to have Zane. <laughs> Zane, oh, We'd man. love to have Parker, too, but it's never had anyone That's crazy, he's from, from Westport. Yeah, Westport, anyway. Staples High. Woo, woo. Last one. In 2030, you can catch Andrew Stallings. Where can we catch him? 2030. What year is it now? <laughs> 2021? 2021. Yeah. Uh, 20, so nine years from now. Um, hopefully, not to be morbid, hopefully alive. Like, I, I just, I do look at life in a very unique way. I, I look at the ways that, you know, we determine success. Like, I, I don't, I'm not going to say a business answer, right? Oh, I hope Othello Group's a multi-billion dollar platform, and I hope I'm representing hundreds of, of athletes. Yeah, sure, I hope I'm successful, but I also hope I'm healthy, and I hope I'm happy. Like, and I'm sorry if that's the hallmark answer, but I really hope I'm alive, I hope I'm happy, I'm healthy, and I hope my wife and my, my kid is. That, yeah, that's so what I hope. What's your, kid? your kid's going to be eight, so just like raking coach pitch, like boy or girl. Oh, just like, just <clears throat> yeah, no, <laughs> coach pitch? Dude, he's going to be a hockey player. Dude. He's, he's going to be the biggest, like goon on the ice he's gonna be like literally uppercutting people at eight just just tearing it up i can't wait he's gonna be such a just, just feeding those eight-year-old muppets i love um. it <laughs> ladies and gentlemen that has been andrew stallings andrew if people want to keep up with the journey where should they follow you yeah you can follow me personally a stallings 88 across all platforms uh and then uh my agency othello group a-T-H-E-L-O group uh, across all platforms as well. Uh, we always appreciate a drive-by, so come on down. There it is. Thank you. We appreciate it. This has been the first live episode of How the Fuck Did You Get That Job? Shout out, KG. Thank you, especially to Kyle Gardner. KG made it across all platforms for filming this episode. KG's man. <laughs>